1: Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. There's something about with the senses, it's, it's like you can't bookmark it, you can't save it, you can't binge it. You have to do it right here, right now, <laughs> and then it's gone. And you could do it mm-hmm. again, but that'll mm-hmm. be different. And like it's all just like it's right here, it's right now, and this is how you have to experience it.
0: Hello and welcome to the Psychology Podcast. Today we welcome Gretchen Rubin to the show. Gretchen is one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature. She's a highly acclaimed writer, having sold millions of copies of her New York Times bestselling books. Her podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, has more than 220 million downloads. As the founder of The Happiness Project, Gretchen has helped create an ecosystem of imaginative products and tools to help people become happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. Her latest book is called Life in Five Senses. In this episode, I talk to Gretchen Rubin about connecting to the world through our five senses. Our fast-paced modern world keeps us constantly moving, making us feel disconnected from other people and our surroundings. Gretchen shares unconventional ways we can re-experience the world through seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and touching. She believes that tuning into life's simple pleasures allows us to live each day with more appreciation and vitality. We also touch on the topics of mindfulness, creativity, learning, and individual differences. It's always great fun chatting with Gretchen. She's got a lot of charisma, and she really brings out a lot of happiness in me whenever I talk to her, and I'm sure she'll bring out a happiness in you as well. So without further ado, I bring you Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen Rubin, how are you?
1: I'm so happy to be talking to you.
0: I'm so happy to talk to you, too. It's been a lifetime since you were last on the Psychology Podcast. Yes. Uh, At least it it feels like a lifetime. Yes, Scott, it certainly
1: (laughs) does, yes.
0: I loved your new book, and I learned so much from your book about how to, you know, lots of novel ways of having more transcendence in one life, things I hadn't even thought of um. Then in retrospect, I'm like, "Huh, I I, I can totally use that sense more, oh. you know." And it's like I needed <laughs> your book to tell me that. And you know, it, you know, seriously, I took your quiz, I took your five senses quiz, and it, my most neglected sense, I believe, is smell. Is <gasps> smell. Interesting. So, yeah, and which surprised me a little bit, but also it made me like energized to think of all the ways that I can really incorporate that more into my life. I think I. I have such an aversion to to bad smells mm-hmm. that maybe that sometimes uh, inhibits the potential for, uh, there's something deep there, you know, that mm-hmm. that our aversion to something can maybe get in the way of us really appreciating the good aspects of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Like great well, smells. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so glad to hear that it got you sort of thinking about yourself because the whole mm-hmm. point of the book is not really so much about what I did, but it's just sort of, to help people get ideas for what they could do because mm-hmm. everybody's got their own complement of senses and their own things they want to work on and tune into. And it just, but sometimes you just need some ideas to get you going and to get you sort of thinking in that direction. And so, so that's great. And see, I'm, I'm a big appreciator of the sense of smell, but then again, I'm, my most neglected sense is taste. And so maybe yeah. you're really into taste.
0: You know, what's interesting. I'm an HSP, you know, stands for highly right. sensitive person. Sure. There's like a yeah. there's a whole highly sensitive person scale. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just interesting how this relates to your work, because the, some of the items on the scale are things like I avoid loud noises and smells, strong smells. And I've been thinking a lot about that. And I think there's a dark side to identifying too much as a uh, highly sensitive person in sort of a uh, rigid way, mm-hmm. because that can limit us you know mm-hmm. if we're like oh i'm just the person that avoids loud noises and loud- and strong smells as opposed to you know that's called experiential avoidance as opposed yep. to leaning into some of this and and maybe maybe we're limiting ourselves or maybe us highly sensitive people are limiting ourselves some- sometimes
1: well it's interesting because i love categorizing i'm always like trying to yeah. come up with categories i just love that way i love having names for things but I found that with my four tendencies personality framework that yeah. divides people into four tendencies, because yeah. some people really feel like if you define if you define me, you confine me. And I think with all these things, we want to make sure that they help us, you know, maybe see ourselves more clearly and spot ways where we could change if we want to change. But we don't want to let them become so cons- just so kind of that we just then hand wave a lot of things saying like, oh, well, that's just not for me. So. I think you're right these can be these these kinds of frameworks can be very useful and illuminating but we always want to remember that they're not they're not a box that we can never step out of or they don't define some kind of you know artificial limitation that we can't push push ourselves against if if we want to if we choose to.
0: Definitely. Uh by the way I love that define not confine. It's pretty mm. uh, I
1: didn't make that genius. up. Yeah, but I do like I like a rhyming uh I like it's a rhyming genius. motto. Yep.
0: It's genius. It's like it summarizes my whole like challenge on iq test like it, it t-shirt
1: might, version it,
0: yeah it summarizes my whole like nerdy dissertation 500 page dissertation in like one thing um, that's amazing um, do you know who the original source is
1: no like, um, i don't i think it's mm. sort of you know one of my one of the things that so working on life in five senses is kind of one of the things it did is it sparked my creativity but <laughs> kind yeah. of uncontrolled ways almost and one of the things i realized is how much i love aphorisms I love quotations and I love aphorisms. And so one of the things I collect is aphorisms, but I also collect proverbs, which are kind of folk truths. And so I have huge library of, of folk truths, And that's one of the ones that I came across That mm. is just like you spot it, you got it. You know, yeah. that's one of those <laughs> oh, kinds yeah. of. Yeah oh my god you're like a neurons that so fu- neurons that fire together wire together wire yeah, i can together. keep going. yeah i can keep going yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. why do i yeah. love these aphorisms so much they're great yeah. okay oh, good. <laughs> good well then maybe you'll be excited for my next book which is all going to be about aphorisms and, and oh, proverbs good. Yeah. oh good have you announced that yet uh, no, I mean, I talk about it in the book. I mean, it's still oh, okay. just very okay. much in the playful project, but I, okay, but cool. I, I work on it all the time. But I got the idea of it as part of this, you know, one of the exercises that I do for life in five senses is I go to the Met every day, mm-hmm. um, which I still do I, I set out to do it for a year, but I still do it because I love it so much. And one of the things, and this is right up your alley, Scott, is I, it gave me a chance to be bored. Sometimes it mm-hmm. so just gave I was back in the same gallery I'd been a million times and I was a little bit bored. And that's often when you have creative ideas because you sort of your mind is trying to create is trying to amuse itself and you have sort of unusual associations or unexpected juxtapositions. And I was looking at something and thinking, you know, if something's secret, it unfailingly makes it more interesting. And I thought, well, that's a good aphorism. And then it hit me. I can write a book of aphorisms, and I was just <laughs> skipping around the marble floors because I was so happy with my idea. You're that so was cool. because of the five senses. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, that is so. You are so cool. Uh, uh, so <laughs> cool. I, lo- I love that idea. I love that idea. Yeah, I love that. Like you get these moments of inspiration where it becomes like clear to you in a in a second that you need oh. to write a book. Oh. I, I love those moments. Best myself. feeling. Yeah, best I feeling.
1: Those. I can tell you with every single one of my books. Me too. Exactly yeah. where I was. Yes.
0: Yeah, me too. And it's just so interesting when we talk about like you know on this podcast sometimes we talk with cognitive neuroscientists about it, does free will exist and look i don't know definitively you know the answer to that question but um i can say that there's still some great mysteries surrounding where creative ideas come from you mm-hmm. know that like i'm okay keeping a mystery mm-hmm. you know, i'm okay i'm okay not knowing the precise sequence of causal events that led to that moment but it's just wonderful that moment happened right so Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. So, uh one of these uh I, I don't know if this counts as an aphorism. Tell me if this counts as an aphorism, but uh you said the more we know, the more we notice. I love that. Is that an aphorism? Oh,
1: that I think aphorism? that does count as okay. an aphorism. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's so true. The more we know, the more we notice. And like knowledge, when you think of knowledge, you, you tend to you know, not think of it as um permeating across senses. Mm -hmm. But, but it does, it can, you know, like there's knowledge in smell, there's knowledge. I feel like this is like a meta knowledge point I'm trying to make (laughs) is that Mm -hmm. um we can learn knowledge by experiencing things, not just through like verbal, the verbal domain. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people think knowledge, they think, you know, you're learning verbal information, right?
1: So, right. And, yeah, and, yeah. and I think especially touch is is really interesting yeah. in this way, because it's like you can grasp it more easily because you can grasp it more easily, like the concrete nature of it or just like being able to, to like visual see an object and maybe even like use an object really helps you understand things. And you just think of something as simple as like you have a problem with your eyes and you go to an eye doctor and there's like a plastic model of an eye and the doctor uh, is pointing to it as they're explaining it. It just you can understand the concept better because there's something there that you can actually see. And then if you reach out, you know, you would be able to see the, the proportions of it and the, and the scale of it and the, and the relationships. And I think that this idea of kind of trying to embody ideas, even abstract ideas, you know, and I think, you know, in a way, maybe that's why we have so many ways that we turn abstract ideas into objects like a flag or a judge's robes or, you know, a sports team uniform. It's like, these are ways that we, you know, you could say, okay, well, of course they're playing, they're, they're playing football. They're going to wear a jersey so they can tell each other part. It's like, okay, but then why do I have a jersey? Why am I wearing a jersey? They don't need the, You know, it's because I want to associate myself with sort of these ideals. So it's very interesting how the human world is like, we're all up in our heads, but then we're all also in our bodies and in the world.
0: Yeah, I thought of a, a an obvious pun that everyone's gonna use when they talk about your book, but like your book really opened my eyes.
1: <laughs> oh, good! <laughs> uh, Excellent. No, yeah. nobody said that yet. Okay. Really, no okay. one said hear, that yet. No, Seems I'm like, hearing it first. Uh, here, you get it right, right, on ripe right for
0: the ripe right for the I yeah, know. mentioning, it up. but um, <laughs> it, it opened my it opened my ears. It opened my hands. <laughs> your book yeah. opened up all yeah. my senses.
1: How the, did you your tongue?
0: Yeah. On the tip of my tongue, Exactly. How did you come to your senses? Uh, you have a really interesting story about, mm. Yeah, well, I'll let you tell it. Oh, the open it up with open the book.
1: Well, with. and it's funny, Scott, that you say you sort of know the moment, kind of the moment of realization. Mm. And and I, this was when my moment of realization came, which was, um, so I got pink eye, which is something that unfortunately I'm sort of prone to. So I had pink eye and it was lingering. So went to the eye doctor and, and after my, after I got checked out, uh, my doctor said to me very casually, well, be sure you come in for your, you know, on time for your next checkup, because, as you know, you're at more risk for losing your vision. And I was just like, wait, what? What are you talking about? I know I did not know that. And, um, and he's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you're severely nearsighted. So you're at more risk for a detached retina. And if that happens, you can lose some of your sight. So we would want to catch it right away. And as it happened, I had a friend who just had lost some of his vision to a detached retina. So that felt very real to me, that possibility. So I go out on the street and I'm I'm walking home because uh, I live in New York City. So I live within walking distance of my eye doctor. And, And it just occurs to me, you know, here I am in this. And of course, I knew at any time, intellectually, I knew that at any time I could lose everything. And I knew that I could still have a rich, meaningful life if I lost my sight or any of my senses. But what what was hitting me was this realization like it's all here it's all right now i have it now mm. i may lose it and yet i'm taking it all for granted i don't i didn't look at one single thing on my way to the doctor today it's just in this fog of preoccupation i just am letting it all pass me by and then suddenly mm. like in this realization it was like every knob turned up to 11 in my head and i just had this Kind of psychedelic experience walking home where I could see every leaf on the tree. I could hear every sound like picked out. I could smell every New York City smell. There's a lot of smells. Scott, as you probably know. Oh, yes. Sensitive (laughs) to smells. Yeah. Uh, You know, and like I could just, I, I just like everything was coming to me with this sort of hyper clarity and it was so beautiful. It was so overwhelming. And I just thought, this is all around me all the time and I am just missing out. And then I got home and like, I saw my family and I was like, I don't see them either. Like my daughters look taller. My husband, like when was the last time I really looked at that guy? And I just thought, you know, I don't want to miss all of this. I want to make direct contact. I just felt like I had, I was stuck in my head and I had drifted out of contact with, with the world and other people. And also for myself, And so and I, and that that walk showed me the way I could get that kind of invigoration and connection was through my five senses, through the intensity of that kind of that direct link to the physical world. And so that's when I was like, And And, you know, and then I realized and maybe you've had this experience with your own work is you look back and you realize this was a puzzle piece that I was kind of groping for all along. There was something that I was overlooking. There was a piece that I was kind of touching on but hadn't really quite focused in on that now I see this is what the missing piece is. And so for me, it was very satisfying because I was like, oh, yeah, this is the." I've been feeling like I was missing something big. This is what it is. It's this direct connection to the world.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Did you interview anyone for your book that um, is fundamentally missing? Maybe someone's blind or someone's deaf. And
1: yep, yep. talked
0: about the height, the heightened sort of other aspects of other senses that kind of come as a ride
1: for that. You do, yeah, they you're you're more attuned to them and you use yeah. them more. So yeah, the way uh people with, with who have lost their sense of sight might use echolocation. It's something that all mm-hmm. of us could do. It's a human it's a it's not that hard to learn how to you do echolocation apparently or like tune into it, but it's just something that people don't do. Though so I have heard some people say that they kind of they sometimes resist People saying like, oh, well, you lost this, but it's so great because you've gained all these like sort of superpowers. And it's sort of like, yeah, you don't get superpowers. <laughs> you know, you, you tune into it more, but I have heard from people that it's like, it's not always comforting to sort of reassure people that somehow, you know, right. you've got all this other, these other benefits. But, um, but no, but it is fascinating how, and it's fascinating to see how technology now, there's all kinds of like new, New, very innovative, interesting ways to help people navigate the world more easily in ways that, you know, we couldn't have done five or 10 years ago that are really, really interesting to see.
0: Yes. Yes. I love that. And um, using a lot of the principles in your book, how can we develop more technology and things to help us heighten our senses uh, and and operate in all cylinders? Mm-hmm. Um, even through like virtual reality, like. I feel like they need to have virtual reality that operates in all five senses. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, That'd I mean, yeah. it's
1: funny because it always seems like smell is the thing that like trips people up. Like, there's been mm-hmm. a lot of efforts to like incorporate smell into That's movies, true. and like, could you have a smell like canister in your computer? And it just never really works very well. Smell is very tricky. Um, mm-hmm. it's a tricky sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is very tricky, and uh, it, and it's also not standardized. Like different smells elicit different triggers and reactions mm-hmm. for different people. But but you do make an interesting point in your book that we can all live in our in our own unique sensory world.
1: Uh, and uh, can you kind of elaborate a little bit about that? Yeah. And this is one of the things that just astonished me. Because, again, sort of intellectually, I knew, like, okay, you live in your sensory world and I live in mine and they're different. And, of course, you can see what this one might be. It would be genetics and our upbringing, our yeah. culture, the yeah. environment in utero. All these things uh, contribute. But it's one thing to sort of intellectually realize that. But, I, but mm. in fact, I think I kind of had the view like the world is the world. It's pretty much the same. Um, and what I realized is it's, it isn't. It isn't. Brains mm. are not objective reporters. They tell Gretchen what it think what the, my brain thinks that Gretchen needs to know and is interested in. And it's constantly bringing certain things up. To the forefront and letting other things fade into the background. And one of my favorite examples of this is I was doing an interview in my apartment, and um, all of a sudden the interviewer was like, "Oh, can we stop?" And I was like, "Why are we stopping?" And she said, "Because of the siren. Don't you hear the siren?" And then of course, and then I heard that there was a siren going right down the street in front of my apartment, and I hadn't heard it because my brain is like, yeah. "Oh, Gretchen, we got sirens all the time. This is not a big deal. Just don't pay any attention to this." And she yeah. said, "Yeah, if you're in LA, it's." helicopters. People don't Mm. hear helicopters. But of course, somebody thinking about audio quality is going to be very tuned into like, oh, is there some kind of noise intruding into this recording? So her brain told her right away. and My brain didn't tell me. And again, it's like we were both sitting in exactly the same room. And it wasn't that I couldn't physically hear it because when she called my attention to it, well, then I did hear it. But then there are situations Mm. where you can't, you can't experience like, like back to smell. We said smell is smell. There's smell is complicated. So, let's say let's say you've been using a really strong air freshener in your house hmm. for months. Well, you might get to the point where you don't even smell it. You're thinking, "Does this air freshener even work anymore?" So you put out another air freshener thinking, "I don't even know if these things have any strength at all." And I walk into your house and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, what is going on in here? Like the pine is overwhelming." Because we can't smell our home the way a guest would smell it because our brain is like, "Oh, this is so familiar." This is such a, this is such a known quantity. We don't need to bring this to the attention, but to a new person, they are experiencing that. But if you went away on vacation for two weeks and then you came back, well, then you might, you would experience that air freshener again, but it's just fascinating because with the hearing, I could, I could hear it once I paid attention to it, but with smell, it's like, if you're used to it, you have that odor fatigue and you can't smell it
0: i mean let's let's extrapolate some of what you just said to, like you said you go to the the art museum every day, right mm-hmm. um so with visual aesthetics, obviously they say art is in the eye of the beholder, right mm-hmm. you know I don't know if this is a fair question, but as you go there every day, does your perception of some of the same paintings that you see like every day change? Does it get more nuanced? like do you notice new things that you didn't notice before about the same painting? I'm just curious,
1: absolutely hundred percent and far more than I thought. But it's interesting, like when I started this, I didn't really exactly know what to expect. I just knew that I was really interested in kind of repetition and familiarity and how an experience would change over time. For me, I'm really much more interested in the experience of the Met itself, like the Met as like the artwork Mm
0: -hmm. than in
1: individual paintings. So in that way, my perception is changing dramatically over time. But you're exactly right. Even with individual paintings, like one thing is like as I go over months and months and years and years, like different paintings come into my or or sculptures or whatever, come into my attention in a new way. So I read the novel Memoirs of Hadrian and I'm like, oh, let me go see if there are any sculptures of Intinuous in the Met. So then I go look at them or it's President's Day. And I'm like, why did not I go see if I could see some paintings of American presidents in that? Just, you know, just something to keep it fun. And then from then on, whenever I walk by it, I'm like, oh, I noticed it more because in know some way it's become special to me. And I really looked at it closely because I'm like, oh, this is Antinous or, oh, this is this is a statue of Abraham Lincoln. Let me really, really look at it. And so slowly every, the whole Met is kind of becoming more and more dense. Or like mm-hmm. I just went there today with a friend and he was like, well, this is one of my favorite things. Well, every time I see it now, I'll be like, oh, this is one of his favorite things. And so it does change um, over time because I bring more to it. I get more from it.
0: Yeah, there's there's some um, exercise that I'm going to link this because I know you say that this is the opposite of meditation. Mm -hmm. But um, there's actually a meditate, a meditation exercise I was assigned when I was doing my eight week mindfulness stress based reduction course. And one of the exercises was to go to the museum and just stare at a particular spot Mm -hmm. of a painting for like Mm -hmm. an hour. (laughs)
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And and reflect on how it changed, you know, your perception of the full painting, et cetera, et cetera. So I am just, I just thought of that because that is something that was assigned to me as part of my meditation exercise. But you talk in your book about how this, is in some ways, is the opposite of meditation, right?
1: Yeah, I think so because what you're describing is a is an attempt to discipline the mind. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like I want telling That's you right. what to do. I'm telling you how to think mm-hmm. and you're supposed to. And like, of course, it's like let the, the thoughts flow by without judgment. But mm-hmm. you're meant to be disciplining your mind toward that painting for whatever, however long it is, half an hour, an hour. And I do exactly the opposite. I walk around. I do whatever I want. I think about whatever mm-hmm. I want. I don't have an assignment. There's no there's no checklist. There's nothing that I'm trying to do. So for me, it's much more like recess. You know, it's like I'm, if anything, I have like an over-disciplined mind. And so what I needed was not uh, an exercise to discipline the mind, but to let the mind off the leash. And so for me, I'm really just like letting it all come. If I felt like looking at something for a half an hour, I would. I have to say that's not the kind of thing that appeals to me. I'm not haven't done it, though. A lot of people (laughs) have said that I should. I was like, I never really feel like doing that. I feel like doing something else when I'm there. And maybe one day I will. And sometimes people, I know a lot of people who love meditation and they kind of want to claim everything for meditation, yeah. but it does seem to me that at the heart of it, meditation is some attempt to discipline the mind and to do certain things with your mind and not others. Whereas I'm just like, I can do whatever I want. I have no attempt to do, to be, I, I am trying to be, I'm, it's the discipline of undiscipline. Um, <laughs> you know.
0: Oh my God. It's like going to the gym and bringing in bonbons. <laughs> that you just sit there and eat.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, because I think people have different challenges, right? And so for some people, meditation is a really helpful tool, but it's not, but, but for me, I felt like there was a need for something else. And the Met just gave me this kind of like perfect. And of course, I'm incredibly fortunate that I live within walking distance of the Met, and I have the, I have the freedom to go every day. A hundred percent. I never take that for granted. Literally every time I go there, I think, oh my gosh, I am so lucky. How did I get this lucky? But the fact is I'd lived that close to the Met for years and I hadn't gone every day. You know, I hardly went at all. And that's one of the reasons I thought, again, just as I'm going to regret my sight if I lost my sight, I'm going to regret the Met. If I move away from the Met, I'll think, why didn't I go when I had the chance? And so um, so it's just, it's Mm -hmm. huge, but it's contained. It's full of interesting things. But it doesn't really change that. It changes enough, but not that much. It's just sort of the perfect... You, you can walk. And of course, as you know, walking itself is great for creativity. Going outside in the light is great for creativity. So yeah. there's so many things built into it that really like were nourishing my mind. But And I just, I just love the Met so much. I love it more than when I started, for sure.
0: Why does it seem like there's an uptick in interest in immersive exhibits? Mm-hmm. Like I go to some exhibits, you know, like the brain, let's <laughs> yeah. go, let's dive yeah. into the brain. Yes. And I'm like, yes. oh my gosh, yes. that's intense. Yeah,
1: yeah. Or, or immersive Van Gogh And yeah. You know, okay, so I think it's because of two trends that are actually the opposite, but they both point in the same direction of, of wanting us to do something immersive. The first is that experience feels flat and two-dimensional and drained. We're behind a screen, and so things feel very flattened. On the other hand, sometimes things feel hyper real, ultra processed. So I'm eating food. And so at the one time, it's like both overwhelming and underwhelming. So I'm eating food that's been engineered to hit every bliss point. But I'm not I'm just bringing takeout into my apartment. So I don't have the smells of baking and grilling and caramelizing that would really tantalize me and and bring all this like greater enjoyment and appreciation the flavor to me. Or I go to a movie and there's so many images and all oh, this beautiful soundtrack. And yet there's no air in my face. There's no smell. There's no texture to it. And so I think that this is making us have this craving for direct contact, like wanting to feel like this is like I'm, I'm like experiencing it like full body. People think about the metaverse, but we're just like, would give me the universe. I mean, I want to I want to <laughs> connect with that. So yeah. I think it's both of these things combining the but that put us in the same the same place of craving that immersiveness
0: hmm. that makes a lot of sense and uh, it's also a way of improving learning you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah if i could teach my students basic principles of cognitive science and using all five senses i think it would increase their chances of learning the principles
1: yeah. But you know what? One thing that occurred, but this is also has to do with rhyme, but I'm kind of surprised that there isn't more effort to for people who have to master a huge amount of material to turn it into songs, uh, especially rhyming songs, because you can really remember songs and rhyme much better. And if it's like I'm surprised there aren't like album like songs yeah. after songs after songs after songs to help people, because I think you're right. Like if you tap into these other senses, a lot of times it makes it, learning and, and other cognitive tasks easier.
0: Yeah, I, I know this guy called Baba Brinkman who's a rapper, and he mm. raps about evolutionary psychology principles. Brilliant! He, uh, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm gonna
1: go look that up right now. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yes. yeah he's great. Right. He's very
0: talented. <laughs> he's very talented. He also freestyles uh, about science. Yeah, so yeah.
1: But see, I bet go. for a lot of people, they could remember that so much more easily than they can yeah. remember, you know, like Definitely. just sort of a, a, a like a, a page full of notes.
0: Yeah, or like a TED talk.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah Where it yeah. just doesn't stick as much.
0: Yeah. So it seems like the, all the rules have changed in the past couple of years with COVID and everything uh, in terms of our understanding of, you know, like we're more wary of using some of our senses, right, mm-hmm. around people and out in public. I mean, we have all these mm-hmm. kind of, we feel like we have these restrictions on us. So how has COVID shifted the way people interact with each other and experience the, your, the five senses you talk about?
1: Well, one thing is, I think that the COVID experience really heightened people's appreciation for the senses, especially the sense of smell, because in the West, smell is is kind of being considered this sort of bonus sense. Like it's kind of nice to have it, but it doesn't really matter that much. But I think because so many people lost their sense of smell, and then also with a, you know a lot of their sense of taste, and and really felt what the what a loss that was. Um, I think it made people much more aware of the importance of smell. I never lost my sense of smell, but I have a couple friends. Who did temporarily. And then I have one friend who very, very significantly lost her sense of smell. And, and, and she's part of a study because she still has not regained her sense. She's like a 24% now.
0: How long has it been?
1: 11 months or something. Oh, yeah. And she was, and we had a long conversation about like what she could smell, what she couldn't smell. Like sometimes smell comes back, but it's not this you, things don't smell the same. And so I think there's just a lot, a, a much greater awareness of like just the tremendous the contribution that it makes to our sense of connection to other people in particular, that's like, it's very important to be able to smell other people. But then also just like a sense of where we are, like a friend of mine who lost her sense of smell temporarily said how claustrophobic she felt. She felt like everything was stale. She was like, I couldn't get air in my, like, I couldn't feel like oh. I was really in a place. I just felt like I was trapped in a box. Oh, and then, a um, feeling. Yes, absolutely. Fortunately, many people, for many people, it comes back. And then the sense of touch. I mean, this, of course, people were talking about it all the time, like not being able to hug, not being able to shake hands, not being, you know, having to like physically stay away from people, how dramatically that affected people's sense of well-being and sense of connection. And, and I mean, I don't know about you, but like, It was just almost impossible. Like I used to, at the beginning of COVID, I would try to like go for a walk, with like in that period where we were like, okay, no, it's okay if you're outside. I would try to go for a walk with a friend, but to stay separate. And finally, I'm like, let's not do that. Let's just talk on the phone because I literally cannot, I cannot stay that far away from you if I'm with you and not be closer to you. Like, I just can't, we just can't sustain that. It just felt too hard and weird. But if I'm talking to you on the phone, I feel like you're right there in my ear. I feel like you're standing right next to me. And so I think I think all that being I mean, sadly, often the way that we really understand something and, and learn to value something is when we're deprived of it. And I think going through that period made people understand just like the human touch, the human connection um, is so important to us. And, it, you know, as you say, it hasn't really come back like we're not where we were. Things feel very different. There are things I think that like, for instance, in a previous book tour for fun, I had little vials. I was talking about smell back then because I love smell. I had these little vials of smell that I would pass in the audience when I gave a book talk. Just like these sort of like really unusual smells and people loved it and they were laughing and it was always like a big hit with people. But then I was thinking, I don't know that I would do that now. I don't think people would be comfortable with passing a vial of smell and everybody smelling it, Mm -hmm. passing it through an audience. And then somebody's like, oh, well, you could have hand sanitizer. I'm like, well, then we would just smell the hand sanitizer. That would be no fun. I mean, that who wants to sit around smelling like a, a thousand
0: sanitizer? <laughs>
1: yeah. And so but it's but it's interesting because something that at one time seemed totally culturally permissible now feels like something that people would not be comfortable with. Taboo. Taboo. Yeah. Yeah. I it just it's... doesn't it just doesn't feel right. If you make that taboo, though, there
0: will be a certain segment of society that will embrace it. Uh, yeah. To show their freedom.
1: freedom. Sure. <laughs> so. Sure. Sure. But if I'm doing a book talk, it's like I don't want to even even if five percent of the people felt deeply uncomfortable. It's like, eh, it's not worth it. Yeah. That's no, but I know it. it is. It always sets off that dynamic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Individual differences. Uh, so fascinating. Okay. I was uh, fascinated with your discussion of ketchup.
1: Mm. Your Oh, yeah. (laughs) uh, I I will never,
0: never taste it the same way again.
1: (laughs) Right. It's Mm -hmm. magical. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tell tell people a little bit about ketchup.
1: ketchup. Ketchup is funny because on the one hand, we dismiss it as kind of this condiment of sort of the people who don't have any discernment. And like you just glop it all over everything and it just covers up the taste of stuff and. Um, it's so common. I mean, like just a gigantic percentage of people in the United States have ketchup in their fridge. Oftentimes it's Heinz ketchup. So we're even using the same kind of ketchup. It's not even like, yeah. you know, there's a huge variety. If you really taste ketchup, I really encourage people just go have a taste of it and you will realize how sophisticated and complicated it is. And so there are five basic tastes. I mean, there, there are arguably more, but, but, uh, there's a lot of disagreement, fattiness, Calcium they're all these ones that are people are arguing about whether or not they are true taste, but they're five sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami are kind of the classic five yeah. and ketchup hits all five that's really yeah. hard to do. I tried to come up with a list of others, and I could only come up with things that have four, like the margarita has four, but it doesn't have umami. It's hard to get all of them in there, and ketchup does, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's just so powerful because. It is, And so I had this party, I I did a taste test party where I had a bunch of, I had friends come over and we did like taste tests. I love taste tests. So like we tried four varieties of apples and like talked about what they tasted like and how they were different. It's a super fun, it's a super fun thing to do with friends. But I gave everybody like just like a little spoonful of ketchup and people were just dumbfounded that if you really pay attention just how complex and sophisticated it is, And a friend of mine even said, she's like, if I didn't know this was ketchup, I would have thought it was like this exotic, super expensive, rare ingredient because it just tastes so like sophisticated. And I thought, well, the next time I do a taste party, I'm going to turn the lights out and have people taste ketchup. And maybe they won't even realize it's ketchup because we just don't pay it. This is the whole thing. We don't pay attention to the very familiar things in our lives. It's just, it's very easy for familiar things to fade away into wallpaper. Worcestershire sauce try Worcestershire sauce that is bonkers there's a lot going on in Worcestershire sauce and there's a lot of things like that where you know like apple pie with cheese or you know like oh wow, that's just lots of taste happening but so ketchup is so I do I really was delighted to learn that ketchup is so kind of undersung for all of its merits yeah there's a lot going on in ketchup that's there's a for sure right the aftertaste the texture the color the consistency like But, you know, another thing that was really interesting to me is salt. You know, we always talk about, oh, people put salt in everything. Well, there's a good reason for that. You know why? Salt is just a flavor enhancer. It makes bitter things less bitter. It makes sweet things, like it can improve sweetness unless there's too much of it. It can add to creaminess. It's like it's just it just makes things taste better. Again, kind of a kind of a magical substance. It's the only rock we eat. Also, fun fact. And we have to have it to survive. So it makes sense that it's one of the five. Taste that we're hardwired to appreciate.
0: Absolutely. Um, I, I'm, I'm really contemplating the thought experiment of tasting some of these really complex things without any semantic categories or, uh, you know, like being surprised and not knowing what it is you're tasting and how yes. it changes the experience of it. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm really curious about that now.
1: Um, well, I had, um, everybody taste Red Bull. Without telling them what it was and in at that taste party and people were just they were like, this is bananas. What is this? Not bananas, literally, but like this is bonkers. What is this? People couldn't figure it out. It was just like because it, it, it was just such oh. a an odd mixture of flavors. If you don't know what it is, if you don't know what to expect and kind of your brain knows what's coming, it's just very hard to make sense of it.
0: I, I want to do the experiment with ketchup though.
1: You should. Yep. Yeah. Well, but turn off the lights and, and and get a bunch of uh unwary subjects and have them taste it and see what yeah. they say.
0: I can do that at a, at a dinner party. I guess mm-hmm. I can do that. Might be a little weird, but I'll just be like in the name of science.
1: Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. right. 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 right, You are my guinea pigs. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's fun, yeah, though. Nice people, you know, but this is one of the things, the big things that I learned from the book is this is a great way to connect with other people. We love to connect with other people through sensory yeah. experiences, whether it's going to a concert or having a meal together. And but, you know, you there's sometimes there are these unconventional ways like having a taste party. It's like, yeah, you can have a dinner party, but you can have a taste party. And that's just like a different way to. Have fun with your sense of taste. I have this bo- this uh, board game called Follow Your Nose, and it's basically it's a bingo game, but you have to match sense to like the card, like the identifier, and it is just so fun. Like it's harder to do than you think, fun. and it it's really fun. Um, and it's just different. You know, it's it's like doing something different. Yeah.
0: yeah, I like it. Um, what what's the name of the game?
1: Follow your nose.
0: Follow your nose. You don't get any royalties.
1: Uh, no, I don't. This is no, sadly. No, no, I wish I did. Okay. But um yeah, I wish I did. Yeah. <laughs> but there's well, all there's also yeah. these cool samplers. There's one for coffee that I have. And then there's also there's ones for wine. I think there's other mm-hmm. ones, too, where they have vials of smells for like coffees to help you pick out the different like all the different. Um, elements of coffee so it's like butteriness and chocolate and and again it's just another way of like tapping into your sense of smell in sort of an unconventional way it's interesting but then I did some things like I'd always wondered what smelling salts were like you know it's like you read about smelling salts so it's like what is that well it turns out you can you can get them they're ammonia inhalants today is what they're called so I finally like satisfied my lifelong curiosity about smelling salts and They're very weird. It's a very weird. Have you ever smelled smelling salts?
0: No, but don't they do that to wake you
1: up? They do that. Yeah, that's why they do it. If like you're about to faint. They do it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and they use it. Athletes now use it. That's the principal use of it now. I think it's controversial, but some people use it. But yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting sensation. It's definitely a sensation more than a smell.
0: Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah, if it energizes you as well
1: kind of yeah it definitely wakes you up yeah cool. it's not a bad experience but it's interesting it's not one that i'm dying to repeat
0: yeah fair enough
1: but i love your
0: <laughs> I, lo- I love your openness to experience at least once I, lo- mm-hmm. just, uh, I appreciate that about you uh i mean that goes all the way back your to your happiness project work and You're like, let me try everything and see uh, what's going to give me happiness. But
1: one thing I found in my writing is that, like, it's very easy to give advice. It's very easy to make suggestions. But then when I but to take them is harder. And you often learn things that you didn't expect to learn if you try to do it yourself. And so I think that a lot a lot of times it's a lot easier and more fun to tell other people what to do. (laughs) So I try to always discipline myself to tell myself what to do. And I often yeah. find kind of surprising things when I do that. Yeah.
0: No, I I love that that about you. I love that about you. But can we talk about hearing for a second because I feel like that's been our most neglected one in our conversation. Today. Mm. Um and something that I found so interesting about hearing in, in your book is that silence can be noisy.
1: Yeah, when you're in a place that at least I find for myself that if I'm in a place that's really really silent, it has kind of a roar to it. And it, it can start feeling very loud. And then then if there's just like soft sounds, often that will make it say, seem more still, just like a soft, gentle sound. But I, I really love silence. And and so, yeah, one of the things I really loved about this book is it gave me a chance to really think about silence. It turns out there's this huge literature of people sort of in, in search of silence. People talk a lot about their desire to, to be quiet. Um I believe it. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it's very restorative, I think, as well. Silence. Is that I mean, is that does that go through
0: the introvert extrovert lines, you know, like the the drive for quiet?
1: Well, that's a fascinating question, because there's also one thing I realized is that there's silence and then there's human silence. And Mm -hmm. I think often when people want silence, what they really are saying is they want human silence because maybe you could be introverted and you have music playing all the time, but when people are talking to you, you find it exhausting. I don't know, that would just be what, it would be really interesting to see like how those, how that plays out um, with large numbers of people. Uh, I'm an ambivert myself, so I sort of tap into Mm -hmm. both of those. But I did find that like I, I gave myself sort of a weekend of silence by sending my whole family away and just like having a silent meditate, a silent retreat at home. And it was very, very interesting. But I realized that that was more of what I wanted is I just didn't want to be talking or listening to other people, even like a podcast. I just wanted like no, no talking, but just having, and I didn't want cacophony, but that was, le- that was less I realized of what I was seeking. So I think maybe there's a distinction there. There's different kinds of silence, perhaps. And then there's you know some people when they want silence they actually want white noise or brown noise or pink right. noise. So they want some kind of they don't want pure silence because it again sometimes with with when it's very quiet any noise really distracts you. So you sort of want that muffling effect. So it, it's this is one of these things where I think it really it really behooves people to think about well what is the environment that I like? What's my ideal sensory surroundings? And maybe you can't always get it because we don't always have perfect control, obviously. But maybe there, but maybe there are things you can do. And and it may be that if you haven't thought about it, you're trying to jam yourself into someone else's expectation. Like so here, Scott, here's a question for you. When you're trying to focus deeply, like let's say you're working on a, an original piece of writing, which to me is like the most demanding. What sound environment do you like? Do you like music with words, music with no words, silence, busy hum, like in a coffee shop? Like what helps you like, write and focus.
0: I have very specific playlists
1: for that,
0: for that occasion. And okay. Tend to be uh, here. I have peace. I want something peaceful. I have peaceful piano playlist mm-hmm. of like literally a hundred, three hundred and eleven peaceful piano songs. Um, mm-hmm. I have cello music. I think so. It's basically something very transcendent. Mm-hmm. Gets me into a nice state. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have mm-hmm. jazz in the background. Which mm-hmm. is a great, a great, a great uh, put, that's my playlist called Jazz in the Background. Uh, ah. yeah. So yeah, that kind of stuff.
1: I would never do that. Yeah, fair enough. No, would never, never do that. I want silence or if I don't have silence, like a busy hum, but I would never choose to listen okay. to music. But again, this is just like, just because something works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And I think what sometimes we get into trouble is like, you're a boss thinking like, well, we need this for everybody to be able to focus. Well, no, it may be people are very different or like maybe I'm a parent and I'm telling a child, oh, you shouldn't listen to music while you're studying. But if that child is doing well and they're saying that they do better with music, well, maybe I need to think about that child's experience, because just because it's not what I would choose, it doesn't mean that it wouldn't be the right choice for someone else. But I so I think we on the one hand, we want to show consideration for others and realize that their sensory environments are not what we would necessarily choose for ourselves. But then also just pay attention to our own likes and dislikes because I was just astonished by how little I knew about my own preferences. You almost might think, like, how could you not know? You're just hanging around in your own body all day long. How do you not notice? But I realized I just didn't notice. I wasn't paying attention to things like what kind of environments help me to focus, what kind of environments help me relax, what do I do when I'm trying. Like one thing I realized about myself and a lot of people do this, is that they use touch to calm themselves, just like little children will have like a toy, like a little lovey toy that they'll hold on to comfort themselves. Adults do this too. So sometimes it's like a fidget toy or a fidget spinner, something that's expressly like that. But like I realized I hold a pen. If I'm like going to a cocktail party where I don't know anybody or I'm like backstage before I'm giving a big talk, I'll hold on to a pen. That just helps me. And I didn't even realize that I did it until I started thinking – why do I do that? I, I'm not going to take a note. There's no paper, right? If I, I What am I? Why do I do this? And then I asked around and like people said, yeah, like I hold a clipboard or I hold a water bottle full of ice water. So it like makes me feel grounded in my body. Or I, a, a teacher said that during COVID when she was anxious about teaching on video for the first time, she would move a rock from one hand to the other. And she had to have that for teaching other people told hold a mug. Like, there's something about having something in our hands. And so, but this was something I hadn't even noticed about myself. This was a, a pattern that I had followed for a long time. I don't even know when I started. And yet, not only did I not understand why I did it, I literally hadn't even really noticed that it was a pattern in my behavior. But now I can do it deliberately. Now I'm like, ooh, I'm going to be nervous. Let me make sure I have, I don't want to go in there without my pen. Let me make sure I have a good one yes. um, so I can hang on to it while, while I'm going through this experience.
0: Well, That's that's just the thread that runs through the whole book, isn't it? Like, uh, not taking for granted, um, yeah, things we have, and uh, like, uh, it's like fish and water, you know, yes, um, yeah. <laughs> like, how can we have the fish appreciate the water more,
1: right? Humans, yeah, what is yeah, water? What, yeah, what yeah, is, yeah, 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 no, it's really true. How do you? I mean, a lot of times that is through deprivation. That's what can make us more attuned to it or like leaning into like really stimulating it. That can also do it. Like, you know, um, that can, that can work too. Something like a sound bath can help you become more attuned to your sense of sound just because it's just a very intense, very specific experience. And then that kind of helps you dial into that, that sense more kind of afterward as well. I think.
0: On your scale, I moved the slider all the way to the right for the sound bath option. I love those.
1: You do? Uh,
0: yeah. yeah. And what yeah, is it yeah.
1: that you love about them?
0: Oh, man. I don't know. I think it's just the way, I, the way I feel, the way I vibrate, the way my soul vibrates to be poetic about it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we can't articulate why we enjoy some things more than others.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. I was thinking about this because my sister also loves sound baths. And I, I did one because she loves them so much I really wanted to experience it. And I remember her saying, she said to me, I find them much more relaxing and enjoyable than a massage because I love a massage and she's not so much, you know? And so I'm like, "Now I don't even know if those are analogous, if you would say like there's one on one hand and one on the other, but it was interesting to me because like one is extremely touch centric sensory and one is more hearing centric. And so that's also true in that maybe these experiences, because I think sometimes people feel like, there's something wrong with them if they don't have the same response as somebody else. Like what's wrong with me that I don't love right. a sound bath the way Scott loves the sound bath. And it's like, nothing well, wrong. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. It's like, it's good to give things a try because you never know. And maybe you want to try it more than once because with, because often we don't like things the first time when they're really unfamiliar, the brain is like working so hard to understand what's going on. It's it's like sometimes a little bit of repetition helps us to enjoy something, but you know, but like every, you know, no tool fits every hand and um, that's okay
0: totally okay it correlates with me and the kind of music i listen to when i write you know sound baths you know it's just like i love that kind of uh, relaxing sort of uh, tones yeah these it just really uh uh snaps me into a certain state of consciousness right? but and
1: here and here's the thing about the senses So when you go to a sound bath, like you're in a room, you feel the vibrations in your body. You have the air in your face. You have the presence of other people. You can tell that one bowl is further from you than the other because you you can sense these subtle variations. There's like the breeze coming in through the door. There's the smell of like the floor disinfectant. Like there's so much happening. And it's just not the same as like popping in a sound bath meditation on YouTube and putting on your headphones and listening to it. Like Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I do feel like there's something about with the census. It's it's like, you can't bookmark it. You can't save it. You can't binge it. You have to do it right here, right now. And then it's gone and you could do it again, but that'll be different. And like, it's all just like, it's right here. It's right now. This is how you have to experience it. And it's not something that we can put off, um, or just like constantly replicate. And, um, and I think that's part of the intense value of it, you know, is that you have to experience it. In the body, in the present.
0: I love that. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you can't just. Yeah, it's not. It's not the same as listening to calming meditation music. Yeah, yeah.
1: right. And it's. It's. It, which is valid Which can be valuable. It's just that it's not the same.
0: Yeah. No, it's a good point. I'd be remiss if I didn't discuss with you how we can use our senses to enhance our creativity. And there's various ways in your book. You talk about that. I believe there's this one part you talk about how you used your hand to improve your imagination. Mm -hmm. That's up my alley.
1: Oh yeah. Creativity. Yes. One of the things I was very interested in is like how you can make abstract ideas tangible or like, you know, make them concrete in some way. And in my own life um I had the i have all- i just got dozens and dozens of sort of projects that I work on in the background all the time and I had this thing which, in my mind, I called indirect directions, which were these sort of short phrases that were meant to spark create like if i if i felt like stuck that they were supposed to kind of help me loosen up my thinking because every because often I would come across one of these sort of like in the wild when I was feeling stuck and it would solve a problem for me. So I started writing them down thinking like, well, I don't want to just count on the fact that I will just coincidentally hear them or like when the student is ready, the teacher appears type thing, but I want to just like make a list of them. So for instance, when I was working on my book uh, about Winston Churchill, I was just so overwhelmed with information, just like such a vast amount of information. And I wanted to write a short accessible book and I couldn't figure out how. And then a friend of mine said that when she was writing her PhD thesis, she had a sticky note that said, down with boredom. And she was writing about, she was an anthropology person. And she just, if she came to a boring part of her thesis, she would just figure out a way to write around it. And this just like was the biggest revelation of all time to me. And so one of my indirect directions is skip the boring parts, which is something that I think about all the time. Just skip the boring parts. And nobody ever complains. So skip the work. So I had, I, I had dozens and dozens of these indirect directions. I was collecting them all the time, but they were just, it was just a document in my computer. And I thought, you know, this thing is just going to crash or I'll just forget that I'm working on it, which happens. For, I'll, I'll write hundreds of pages and then just kind of forget about it and move on. And I didn't want that to happen. So then I thought, let me make this into an object. Let me make this something that I can use in my hands. And that will even be better for creativity because there'll be this tangible quality, concrete quality. So I had recently seen my father's ancient Rolodex, which is just like the most satisfying object of all time. I begged my parents to give it to me so they could like have it just as an object. And so I bought a new Rolodex and on and wrote my indirect directions on the, on the cards. And so now, like if I'm stuck or want a little flash of inspiration, I can just spin it and I pick one at random. Love picking things at random, right? It makes you feel like the universe is telling you something. Yeah. Yeah, And then you, and then I would just ponder it. And a lot of times the answer doesn't become clear right away. And the funny thing that happened was my first thing was what should I call this thing? Because I was calling it indirect directions, but I didn't like that. I thought that was boring. And then I was like, well, I could call it the Rolodex of ideas, but I thought that was pretty boring too. So, it's like, okay, what do I do? So I, I spun the Rolodex around and I picked a card and the card said, choose a fresh metaphor. I was like, OK, I don't. OK, um, I don't even have I me- I don't even have one metaphor, but I'll choose a fresh metaphor, put it on my bulletin board. So I saw it from time to time and would sort of think about it. And then when I was in the Met, I was looking at this object, one of my favorite objects, which is this inkstand from, I don't know, the 15th century. It's a, a very elaborate inkstand with all kinds of drawers and cubbies. And it's covered with a pol- the God Apollo and the muses and some like famous poets. And I looked at it and I was like, well, that's the perfect thing for a writer, right? That's what you need. You need the inkstand, like with all the muses on top of it for you. Yes. And then I thought, that's what I'll call my Rolodex. I'll call it a muse oh. machine because oh. now I have, I can just evoke my muse whenever I want. So muse machine. And I mean, I was so thrilled when I had that spark of, of a creative solution and I'm sure that it's because I just had this thing running in my mind and I'd seen the card and I'd held the yes. card and I'd chosen the card and it just had a lot more power than if I had like looked in a document or like hit some link where it just like randomly spit up a direction. Um, there was sort of more power to it. And I think it, it, uh, it worked more effectively for, cre- for me creatively that way.
0: Love that story, uh, makes me think of people who have synesthesia
1: tend- Oh yeah,
0: tend to be more creative. Uh, and basically reinforcing your point that if we can combine multiple senses, we can really enhance our creativity in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I read somewhere Kanye West said he has synesthesia, but maybe we shouldn't use that example.
1: <laughs> mm, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, so here's an interesting fact. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that was striking to me in my study of the five senses is often people won't realize maybe till they're like young adults. That they are how different they are from other people. So, for instance, it's it's right. not uncommon for people to have synesthesia, to not be able to smell, um, or right. even to have quite significant hearing loss and not realize it.
0: It's such a good point. Uh, do you know that some there, there's a certain? I don't I don't want to use the word condition. A certain way of being where you can't actually imagine anything. Oh right, you, yes. You you, you you just and there are you can't picture as, an as, apple. As, yeah, and as adults they don't know any other way of being. Mm -hmm. So when they hear that there's, they have this thing, they're like, Oh, well, so what? Right. (laughs) Like, it's not like they know anything different. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: Studying all this made me think, I think people's probably their, their experiences are much different from what we think. Like there's something in math that I cannot do. I don't know what it is, but I know there is something that other people understand that (laughs) I don't understand. Like I remember in high school, like, I said to them, I'm like, why did I do so badly on like the national math exam? And and they were like, Well, question, it's like you just learn the rules and then apply it. You don't really understand how to do math. And I was like, I don't understand what you mean about how to do math other than to apply the rules. What are you even talking about? I'm like, I'm wondering, like, do I have some sort of deep math sense that other people have that I just don't have? And like you say, says I don't have it, I don't miss it, I don't know it. But every once in a while I'll come across something and I'll be like, That's interesting because that I don't think that way or like like my daughter has a very bad sense of direction. And I'm like, maybe she really like there's something that she just doesn't have. And so she's learned to compensate and we hardly notice it. But every once in a while, you're like, she'll just be disoriented in a way where I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So, again, I think we just want to show a lot more consideration for each other and just say, like, okay, like, let's figure this out so we can all thrive. And maybe we need to think outside the box a little bit to make this work.
0: Yeah, definitely. When I took ballet class in college, I realized I don't have the ballet sense.
1: <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I really yeah. do. I think I like the idea of applying senses in, in to talents, domains, you know, and, and different domains. Uh, you know, some people have the comedic sense, you know, some mm-hmm. have a, a writing uh, sense. No, I, that makes a lot of sense.
1: yeah yeah no that's interesting that's interesting like about like the sense of timing do some people have like a very acute just the way like you would say a top basketball player has a a, you know outstanding sense of proprioception maybe to be a comedian you need like a superpower of timing because so much of humor is timing and pace and maybe they just you know, it it is sort of this innate, um, it, it is, it, I think we're all, we're all wired more differently. I mean, one thing that's just sort of burst onto the scene is ASMR, which is kind of, it hasn't been studied that much because it's only sort yeah. of recently been identified. But I definitely know people that are like, oh, a 100% I have ASMR and I never knew what it was. I didn't know that other people had it. I remember being seven years old and realizing what this was, whatever. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't get yeah. it. But, you know.
0: Yeah, well, that's the beauty of individual differences, and then it is, you know, and is. then the extent to which we can cultivate some of these things if we want to. Yes, um, and and I think that's where I'll I'll leave us. So people will buy your book. Um, uh- <laughs> if, if, if if we've let their appetite, yeah, we've let their appetite. Please uh, read Gretchen's wonderful book. She has a whole section on things you can do, prompts and things for each of the senses to cultivate it, even if we don't have the knack for it you know mm-hmm. uh, we can still de- we can still develop some of these things hopefully all of these all of these things to a certain degree Gretchen thank you so much for being on the psychology podcast uh eight years later I want to say I, uh yes. oh god, has it
1: been that long
0: I, I think could have been we need to look oh back gosh. but I think it might wow. have been 2015 uh wow
1: insane oh. it's just yeah Yeah. Oh, I I thought it was like three years. But yeah, time flies. Well, I so enjoyed the conversation. Scott, we're interested in so many of the same things. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Psychology Podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com or on our YouTube page, The Psychology Podcast. We also put up some videos of some episodes on our YouTube page as well, so you'll want to check that out. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show, and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity.